I'll have a link to that and uh, later on, and you'll be able to see down in the comment section and link right to it and be able to see the whole thing as well. That was a blessing. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's all open our Bibles together, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, dear Lord God, I thank you so much that we can be together here, continuing together here, wherever we're seated, wherever we're gathered around, together in our hearts, together in our minds, together in our purpose. Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that the reading and teaching of your holy word would bring instruction, edification, and encouragement, and even be something that in our homes, we continue to talk about and stir up after we finish. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for all of your goodness to us. We pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us now. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Before I start to read, I just want to say that uh, like you, I maybe like you, I guess, I take in uh, lots of information in the time that we have to read and you begin to learn about uh, the, the virus that's out there and spreading and, and hopefully you're keeping people in prayer and, and everything else. But, but I, when you sift through and, and read articles that are really like science and, and, and medicine oriented, kind of sift through some of the political stuff that goes on and everything... I've, I've become a little bit of a, 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 a geek with the, uh, the science-y stuff. And no matter what article you read, it always, at the end, the best, most scientifically oriented writings seem to always arrive at the same two simple points that everyone is saying. Wash your hands and social distancing. And I just, for whatever it's worth, want to sort of just add my amen to that because I think that's important that you just really be careful and attentive about it. I think it's for real, and I think if you practice those simple things, not only might you help yourself, but you certainly have a good chance of helping a lot of people, especially the people that aren't able to stay home, people that have to go to work, like in hospitals and driving trucks and, and just kind of keeping the most urgent and necessary things in society moving, when we practice those things, we kind of make it less of a risk for them, so, as well as for ourselves and for everybody. So I think it's good wisdom to just continue to practice those things. I guess there's your public service announcement portion of the service today. Now, let me go into First Peter here. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. I did the first 12 verses of this chapter on Thursday night. And kind of right in the middle of that passage, Peter is writing and he's talking about trials. You see the phrase all the way back up in verse 6, various trials, grieved by various trials. 
And the reason Peter seems to be writing his letter is because he's trying to bring instruction, but also comfort and hope to believers who are struggling through various trials. And what he said back there uh, earlier in the writing was that these various trials, you need to go through them for a little while, but what they do is they test you. They, they test your faith, and if your faith in Christ is real, it reveals for your own edification and comfort that your faith in Christ is real. It brings, it brings to life the statement in Hebrews that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance. Faith is the evidence. When we go through trouble, and even though you may feel a little inner faltering as you come through it and you realize Wow, I'm still I'm there. I'm still believing in the Lord and, and looking to the Lord and crying out to the Lord. Even if we're struggling, it becomes a comfort to it. It's, it's like, wow, the Lord carried me through this and I'm still with him. And, and so Peter is writing to them and encouraging them and showing them that as they go through various trials, as they go through various trials, they will come out of it stronger. They will come out of it with their faith deepened. And hardship and difficulty does that. Now, as you continue later into the book, you see that he uh, is perhaps primarily with the believers he's writing to, talking about reproach and persecution. We mentioned that the other night. But here, certainly he makes reference to various trials, and obviously, you can definitely put what we're all going through right now, I think, as believers especially because that's who this is addressed to, under that banner of this is a trial. You know, we're being tested. When you get up to verse 13, then he gives specific instructions for conduct, but for conduct with uh, in view that you're going through a trial. So it's like this passage is sort of how to live in the midst of one of these various trials. And what you see are three distinct things, three distinct aspects of our faith, because overall, it is our faith that it gets tested in all of this. And there are three elements of our faith, three things that our faith produces in our lives that get specifically touched and tested. And Peter encourages them in those three things. So here is this passage starting in verse 13. Listen for this. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So there's three distinct elements to that passage of Scripture. The first one takes up just the first verse, 13, by itself. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope on His grace. Look, that's one of the areas of our faith that gets tested when we go through trials is our minds can get out there ahead of ourselves. Um, In a trial like the one that we're in right now, perhaps what happens is we find ourselves with a little more idle time than is healthy or is good. You want to watch and guard against that because that's one of the biggest things that wars against somebody's mind is just having a lot of time that's idle. So you want to pray about that and think about that. But that's one aspect of our faith. You know, in our faith, we're told not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Romans 12. And so naturally, as we're going through trials and going through difficulties, one of the areas that gets challenged is our minds. And then the second thing that will get challenged, which is also a product of our faith, as our faith is tested, is our conduct. And as he goes through that, you can see that he calls them in the next set of verses uh, from verse 14, I would say all the way down through verse 21, he's talking about their conduct and how they should be holy in their conduct. We'll unpack that in a minute. And then the third thing that he makes reference to is their hearts, right? And that's in verse 22. Verse 22 to the end of the chapter is a tremendous statement about the importance of the word of God itself and how God brought salvation to us through his word. And then the main point of that goes into chapter 2, which we'll get to this Thursday night, Lord willing, uh, about how the word of God then causes us to grow. But the command that's wrapped up in that passage is right at the end of verse 22, where it says, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And that can be challenged in times of trial as well. In times of difficulty, Our minds can be prone to get away from us a little bit. Um, Our conduct can perhaps be inclined to slip back a little bit into what was familiar to us before we knew the Lord. And our hearts, maybe we can become a little circle the wagon-ish or whatever and we stop kind of thinking about others and and our love our the condition of our hearts and our love can grow cold and that that last one even one of the signs of the last days that uh the bible mentions is that the love of many would grow cold so we want to guard against those things we want to be careful it's like this passage of scripture is a great awareness passage In the first part of the chapter, he says, look, you have to go through some trials, but these trials are going to, they're going to test and reveal the genuineness of your faith. And then in this part of it, he tells you, here are those elements of your faith that are going to be especially tested. Your mind, your conduct, and your heart, especially with your heart, your, 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 your capacity and 
love, just your love for one another. Your love for God, but your love for each other especially is what he has in view here. So watch those three things. Let's kind of break each one of them down a little bit here. The first one, it says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? So our minds can get away from this, from us. I love this, gird up the loins of your mind. And, you know, it's a similar phrase that's used in that famous passage in Ephesians which tells us to gird ourselves and and to what? To put on the whole armor of God. The idea of girding yourself is gathering up all of your suit, gathering up all of your clothes, and then one at a time putting them on and getting yourself ready. And I, I, you think of the soldier, I was thinking because of the situation of, that we're in of like a person who works in a hospital right now. Aren't they precious people and, and super special people that we should be praying for? You know, uh, they go into a hospital, you just kind of take it for granted when you go into a hospital and you see them maybe wearing scrubs and masks and everything else. But, you know, when they walk into the hospital now, I'm sure everything is carefully laid out and, you know, everything that they're putting on has this very deliberate and intentional purpose and everything's carefully put on, the, the scrubs maybe and the, and the gowns and the, and, the, and the masks and the face shields and the gloves and whatever goes over the top of the head and, and you know, just one piece at a time, just gathering everything up and girding it up and then putting it on and getting ready to go out into the battle, which is what this kind of feels like right now, right? Well, we're told here like that to gird up the loins of your mind. And the idea, there was a point in the MacArthur Study Bible, which I like to read, which basically uh, talks about kind of gathering up sort of all the loose ends, if you will. You've ever been faced with having to go to a meeting uh, or you want to go and you want to say something to someone or someone wants to talk to you and you say, you know what, give me a minute. I need a minute because I need to, what? Collect, what? Collect my thoughts. You've ever used that phrase? That's kind of what this is like. It's like kind of get a hold of everywhere your mind, maybe in the middle of a difficult time and a trial, your mind starts to go here, your mind starts to go here. What Peter says here is, man, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Sobriety is like the opposite of drunkenness, right? We don't want to slip into the drunkenness of an imagination that just runs away and is always thinking the worst and is always... Look, we need to be sober. That is, how do you, how do you think soberly? How do, you, how do you grab a hold of your own mind? How do you grab a hold with the deliberate purpose the thoughts of your own mind that may be going here and there and everywhere in the middle of a hard time. He tells you right here, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you talk about the mind of a Christian, and we have in some of these recent messages that the circumstances of life have forced us into here, your mind must be set on the future. There is nothing that Satan would want more in the midst of this trial than for you to just fix your mind on how hard everything is, even though that's important and there are things to be taken seriously. But don't let your mind get away with all the troubles. Pray and fix your mind on what? What does he say? Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That saving grace and that gift 
of eternal salvation. The revelation of Jesus Christ there refers to when he's coming again. Again, we keep coming across these passages that remind us that he's coming again. He's coming again. And when Jesus Christ is revealed, we will be saved from whatever the world happens to be going through at the time. We will be saved from the penalty of our own sins eternally because of his grace, because of faith in him. Rest your mind fully on that hope. That's how you gather your thoughts. You gather your thoughts. You gather up all the loose ends. You you gather up all the pieces of the uniform and you just put them on one at a time and then you're ready to go. You do that by putting your mind where it belongs. Think about, talk about, talk to the Lord, talk to each other, pray about that wonderful, blessed, living hope that we sang about before, that Christ will come one day, and then this trouble and every trouble will be completely eradicated and gone forever. Set your mind in the right place. The second point then starts in verse 14. Another element of our faith, what our faith ought to produce is conduct that is changed and is godly and that can be challenged in time of trial, in time of testing. We might be inclined to kind of revert back to our old ways a little bit. We have to be careful about that. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. In other words, Ignorant means you don't know. In other words, back when you didn't know any better, you just used to live any way that you wanted to. Now you know Christ, and so you want to walk in his ways. In trials, you might be inclined to kind of slip back a little bit. So he's saying, listen, as obedient children, he says what? He actually gives them here three reasons. So I'm making three points, and point number two has its own sub-three points, if you're following all this. Uh, He gives them three reasons why they need to be careful about their conduct. Careful about their conduct, and not to slide back into the former lusts in times of various trials. The first one, he says, is, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because, I love this, it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. The first reason why Peter calls them to holy conduct and to guard their conduct in the times of trial is simply because God says so. And he quotes right out of Leviticus, of all books, right there. Be holy, for I am holy. So number one reason you need to watch your conduct is because we serve a God who simply says so. Be holy, for I am holy. Second reason, verse 17, if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, right? So the second reason why we need to watch our conduct is why. God is a righteous judge. Our conduct is judged by him. For the believer, the judgment we're talking about is not a judgment of whether you're saved or not. What did we just sing before? He set me free. Man, I'm free from any thought at all about, you know, worry about is, is the way I'm living good enough? Listen, it could never be. We're saved completely and totally by his grace. And so we set our minds on that, right? This is something different. As we walk and as we live and as we serve the Lord, we are told that we will stand before Christ's judgment seat to give an account 
for how we have lived and served him. And the Bible says we'll actually receive rewards from him for how we've served. That's another just amazing blessing of his grace. What Peter says here is when you're going through a difficult time, be very careful that you don't let your conduct revert into what it was before you knew the Lord. Keep pressing forward, walking with the Lord, because God is a righteous judge. He judges without partiality. In other words, he's perfectly fair. He judges without partiality each one's work. And so, look, you ought to conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here. What's that wording? The time of your stay. That reverts all the way back to the beginning of the book when he called them what? Pilgrims, right? So they're, we're, we're pilgrims. We're like away from home right now here in this world, right? And so during our stay here in this place, which is not our home, conduct yourself in fear, that is, with great awe and respect for God who is a righteous judge. Third reason why you need to walk in holy conduct and watch out for your conduct in times of trial is simply to remember what God did to save you. In verse 16, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct. Remember, God did not save us with means that humans could replicate. God gave his son, as he goes on to explain here in a moment. And so we need to remember, and look what he says. You have been saved from what? He didn't say you have been saved from your sins here, though obviously we have. He says you have been saved from your aimless conduct, right? He's encouraging them in times of trial to watch their conduct. Their conduct before they knew the Lord, used to be what? Aimless. So that, that, just the use of that word itself infers that we have to be careful not to fall back into what was aimless. In another place in 2 Corinthians, Paul said, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him in all things. So uh, we've not been saved from our aimless conduct with like silver and gold and all the things the world would consider valuable. And that aimless conduct he describes as tradition from your fathers. In other words, we just learned from those who walked before us how to live. That aimless conduct was passed down from generation to generation to generation. But we weren't saved with silver or gold. What were we saved with? Verse 19. The precious blood of Christ, which we sang about earlier as well. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times. God knew what he was going to do even before the world began. God had chosen and decided exactly how he was going to bring this whole thing forth. But we have the privilege of living in the times when it has been revealed. That is, we can look back and read the word and know how God fulfilled the plan of salvation by sending Christ for us and Christ dying for us. And that precious blood of Christ that he shed, that's what we are redeemed with. You understand? And he goes on to say, it was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Right? So the point is, watch your conduct. Watch your conduct because number one, it is written. God said so. Number two, God is a judge who is looking at our conduct. And number three, remember what he did to save you. 
We weren't redeemed with this world's ways and means. We were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, his son. Keep that up here, right? So in times of trial, in times of trial, our minds can be tested, our conduct can be tested, and then the third thing that can be tested is our hearts. Look at this, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, right? In other words, since, it's a great description of the gospel. You came to Christ, your souls were purified when you obeyed the truth, that is, you believed the gospel through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another. Sincerity and love one another fervently with a pure heart. That's another thing you have to guard against. Our hearts need to be pure so that we can continue to properly love our brethren. And that's another element of our faith that gets threatened when trials come. And so we have to be guarded and careful about that. We're talking about the heart. You know the famous verse in Proverbs to guard your heart. What? With all diligence, with all diligence. In other words, you you apply deliberate effort to the protection of your own heart because everything about life comes out of it, including the most important thing of all, love. We're called to love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. This is where it shifts gears and gets ready to move into the next part of this a little bit. He talks about the fact that we have been saved through the word, the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And he quotes from Isaiah, the passage, all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. So that's what, that's what, that's what flesh, that's what man is like. You know, we're like grass that grows up if you let grass grow, we don't see this too much because we mow lawns and manicure things, but, but as you let grasses grow, they eventually flower like so many other plants do. So uh, the glory of man is like that flower of the grass, but then it withers and its flower falls away. That's what the glory of man is like. But the word of God is not like that. The word of God The word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And then he's going to go into chapter 2, and we'll address that on Thursday night if you tune in right here. But but the point before it, we'll, we'll deal with the word of God part of it on Thursday. The main point of this passage, this part of the passage here, is don't allow your love to grow cold in times of trial. Love fervently. Love sincerely, right? We've been saved. Our Look, see the words here in verse 22? You've purified your souls in obeying the truth. And he goes on to say, love one another fervently with a pure heart. You see the, the comparison between the purities there. Our souls were purified when we believed the gospel and we were saved Now, as we walk through our lives, we need to continue to love each other fervently with pure hearts. God wipes it away, makes everything pure and clean from the beginning. And then as you walk, you need to make sure that the trials of life don't allow your heart to become infected so that our love grows cold. You follow that? It's so important. So important. This is like the, it's like the pinnacle of Christian living. It's the thing that Jesus said would mark us out as his to an onlooking world that we love one another. Love requires a lot of us. 
Love one another requires humility. It requires mercy. It requires patience. It requires forgiveness. It requires an effort to be aware of the needs of others. And when trials come, that can be affected adversely because we can, we can maybe tend to develop a circle-the-wagon mentality, I like to say. But love is always looking out. You can read 1 Corinthians 13 for yourself. So look, what does he say here, these three points in this passage of Scripture? Number one, we are called to sobriety of the mind. That is to say, collect your thoughts and keep your thoughts fixed on our future hope, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are called to holiness of conduct because God says so, uh, because He is a righteous judge, and because of the price that was paid to save us. And we are called to fervency of love from pure hearts. These are all things that can be assailed in time of trial. But if we stay humble before the Lord and keep our eyes fixed on Him and trust in Him and lean on the power of His Spirit and by the way, keep sharpening each other, we can make sure that even in the time of a various trial, these things can remain strong by the strength that he supplies. I'm going to ask Brother Phil to come back up here and we're going to sing one more song and then we're going to close with prayer. Thank you for listening, everybody. Every 
servant. I desire to be a blessing in your eyes. In your eyes. In church, we usually do the ladies first here. Try to come. Ready? Ladies, may the words. listening to this who's not come to Christ Lord how I pray that oh that you would bring them to faith Lord we are saved by your grace through faith not of ourselves it's your gift not of works lest anyone should boast you gave your life for our sins your word says that you knew no sin Jesus Lord and you became sin for us when you died on the cross it's amazing you took the price for our sins and died and rose from the dead. And now, when someone receives you by faith, they become your children. Sins forgiven, adopted as your children. The promise of life with you forever. 
Let someone listening to this call out to you, cry out to you in faith, Lord Jesus, and receive your salvation. Do your work in each one of us, I pray. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much for joining us today. We have youth group tonight. Isn't that cool? So youth group is tonight at 6 o'clock. It's online. You know what to do. Text me if you need any other information about that. That's going to be fun. Uh, thanks again to uh, Brother Phil for coming over here and uh, doing music with us. My son Jonathan up there uh, bringing everything online for us. Thank you to the Tear Pack family for sending that song along to us. And, and all of you, man, it is so hard going through a week and not seeing you and not being together. I know I speak for all of us when I say that. And so uh, hang in there. And beyond hanging in there, stay engaged in your walk with God. Find ways to be his servant like we just sang. Encourage each other. Great, important opportunity in all this to encourage and bless each other. doesn't have to be grand things. Just reach out to someone. Hey, how you doing? And talk with each other, right? All right. God bless you, everybody. And we'll be back Thursday night for the Bible study. Have a great day. Yeah. Or whatever it is, it says share, right? Yes.